spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins where it all came from since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Label Hi, it's Andy M from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house on a very bright cold sunday afternoon not got far to travel today this is one of my most local guests i've had for a while and what i mean local is she's actually sat in the next room now, who is the guest on with me today, then? It's me, Amanda yeah. Nicholson. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, people obviously know we're the, we're the husband and wife team. Now, I've brought Amanda on today for a specific reason today, and we'll come on to this shortly, because she's been very, had a really interesting last year in her creative projects. I wanted to talk to Amanda quite specifically about this today, because it's a really good story, this. So, obviously, Amanda, anyone's hearing you should know who you are, but if they don't, would you like to tell people a little bit about yourself, first of all? Okay, so I'm an author. I perform spoken words sometimes. Not, not as much as we have usually in the past couple of years with lockdowns and things. But um, I'm copywriter, editor, podcaster. Sometimes I like to sleep. Yeah, no, we both do that occasionally, don't we? So. <laughs> yeah, you're busy. Very, very busy lady, like I am. But um, what we're going to talk about today is, and this, I want to learn a bit more about this myself, because it's really interesting what Amanda's done. She's had a project going on, it's, well, but as of the time this gets released, it's going to be, it'd be just just finished it, Amanda, won't you, as well? So Yeah. Yeah, and what it is, is um, it's something Amanda's called, what is it, 12 Projects in 12 Months, have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, now, do you want to tell people, first of all, the outline of this project, Amanda? So I decided to do it, I think, as we got to the end of January last year. So I called it 12 Projects in 12 Months, and it's basically a lot of different things that I'd started. Some were more complete than others, and a few others were just like maybe one piece and then a few notes. And I wanted to get as many of them out of the way as possible, so I picked out 12, and I worked on completing them. Yeah, you said well, you want to get them out of the way. It's not yeah. the case that you just want to dump them, is it? You and you're always—I know you're always telling me you've got stacks of folds of incomplete projects, haven't you? Yeah, and you want I've got to... the majority of them out of the way now. I think there's still a few ideas floating around somewhere, but I think there's always going to be that. 
Yeah. But the yeah. main ones that I kept thinking about all the time, I've got them out of the way. Right. Obviously, we're going to break down each of these projects because it's not the case of here, everyone's interested. When you'll give the links at the end of it, is that they're all similar sort of things because they're not. This really shows Amanda's versatility as an artist and having a creator and writer. So, obviously, then, why did you decide to go with 12 originally then? I think it's just one a month. But because I'd only thought of it at the end of January, I wasn't going to call it like in a year we'll get 12 projects done in 2021 because uh, you only had about 11 months of the year left at that point. So I thought, well, I'll give myself a full year. And then the way it worked out, sometimes I'd have a month where nothing came out and, and then I'd have the next month where there was two projects. It's just how it worked out, how much time I had to put into it. Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree with it. Now, I've, obviously, I've been living, you've been living with me when you've been going through these. So I want to go through each of these projects so people can see, go through each one. Now, the first one is obviously first charge now obviously tell people about first charge so that was actually released as a paperback quite a few years ago self-published and i think it got picked up by a publisher and then I, when they went bust i re-released it and self-published again but i brought it out as my first project on audiobook so even though i'm not the one that was reading it on the audiobook I worked with the voice artist quite a bit just to get it in the right sort of feel to get the voice right. So I had to listen to every single chapter she recorded and make suggestions and things. So it did still require a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, I remember coming out on Audible, that one as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and that was then, then obviously you quickly followed it up with your... No, no, go on, I'll let you tell us about the second project. Not me, you tell yeah, so the second one is a chat book called "By My Book, I Need Cats," and this is quite ironic actually, because we went to obviously saw our, saw our friend Rebecca last night doing a bit of a rustle. And they've got like a very elderly cat now and there, and then um, tell people what the cat was like on towards you last night. Oh, that cat was lovely! It's like the most yeah, gentle cat I've ever met. It was twenty-two as well. It was as of typing, and I was like, and you, you always tell me cats don't come running to you, but you, you love a cat, wouldn't you, so? Yeah, I know sometimes we're walking around and you go to stroke a cat and it'll come running to you. And you'll go, oh, come over here, Amanda. Oh, this cat's lovely. And I'll walk towards it carefully to try not to scare it off. It'll take one look at me go, no, and run away. Didn't last night, did it, man? You saw the difference. So <laughs> but that's yeah. obviously, um, why did you come up with a title for Buy My Book, I Need Cats? I think you were interviewing somebody and they were talking about cats and I think I jokingly said, oh, I need to call my book, my next book, buy my book, I need cats. And maybe that will get sales. And then I just started thinking about it a lot and I thought, well, I don't have any poems about cats, but I'll just include random pictures of cats throughout the book, even though the poems are nothing to do with it. Yeah, you did one, you did one, yeah. The first poem I included was about cats. So I added that in there just for the book, but... The rest are just completely nothing to do with cats. Yeah, it was just basic. It's just like a bit of a joke for you, basically, wasn't it? So it's like, yeah, so no, it's it's, it's, some, it's a cute sense of humour, that's why. And the cats, the pictures of the cats in the book are gorgeous as well. Right, okay, yeah. on to next then. Tell us what came next then. So I did Hidden Identities, which, which is completely a completely different, different <laughs> yeah. And I, start, I originally started this one off when I was doing my creative writing MA and it was part of my dissertation. I think I had to write 
what's it, 5,000 words like about the piece itself, and then 10,000 words of the beginning of the piece. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, yeah. tell people, and obviously, I obviously don't know this book, and I think this is one of the most, your most fascinating books you've done to date, but tell people where it came from. So it was about the um, aversion therapy, which gets um, carried out on people who are gay or transsexual or lesbian, bisexual, just to try to um, change like their sexuality. And obviously, you know, there's no, it's not, it's not a disease anyway, but people say, oh, this is going to cure you. Mm. And oh, it's not, it's not going to change someone to be straight or the way people want them to be. And when I was writing this for the um, dissertation and I got feedback in the run up to it, I got people saying, oh, no, because um, there's a bit where it's set in the 80s with one character and then a bit mm. where it's set close to now with the other character. Um, people kept saying, oh, you should have said it all in the 80s because that doesn't happen anymore. It's legal now. And I'd looked into it and I thought, well, no, it's not. So I looked into it again and it, it's definitely been happening like in the last few years and it's not been made illegal. Yeah. How I think shortly you... after I bought this book out, I think they did pass a law against it, but I don't think it's actually done anything yet. I think it was more just like to appease people and they've not uh, put anything into action yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's true, it's, it's a really contentious topic, this one. It's not something I'd come across before, before you bought this book out. So how did you find out about aversion therapy then? So as we're both now, my brother said he wanted to be a woman. Mm. And I wrote a poem about that and read it out at the Stockport group that we go to. And then there's a guy who, who hasn't been in a while called Ed. And he said, oh, you should listen to an interview about transsexual people and the version therapy that was on Radio 4, I think he said it was. So I like, looked into the archives. Mm. And I don't know if I found the exact one he was talking about because there were a few that could have fit the description he was given. And I listened to one and it was a story of this man that had gone through this aversion therapy and his mum hadn't been supportive and to, like coaxed him into getting it and that started off my story. So even though it's a completely different story to what he would have gone through, that was like the inspiration for the beginning of mine. And then I thought I'd add the other character who was also gay, but he got married in the 80s and became a um, psychologist. But his unofficial job thing was to oversee this aversion therapy in a private clinic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then eventually the two characters run into each other. But I'm not going to say what happens in the story, but I had to do a lot of research and some of the stuff I came across was really disturbing. So I tried to include that in the story just to give people a feel of what can happen, even if it's not the exact same things that happen during a version therapy. Yeah, I think for this book, honestly, when I first, obviously we first started seeing each other, I first got to know you as a person. This was, ne I never envisaged you could have to write a book like this. And it's like, do you, how do you feel about it? you look back at that book now? I think it's the closest I've come to writing literary fiction because I don't think it comes under any other genre. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's very, very, it's, a, it's almost like a fact book, really. It's not like non fiction, yeah, but literature is a good word for it as well. Yeah, definitely. So, 
which is quite interesting, really, because like it's some of the other things you've come out with during this book, during this 12 months. So, again, something that is completely different to what you wrote before, isn't it? Do you find that when you're doing this 12 projects? Yeah, I, I didn't set out to make everything different, but then when I started writing the list of what I've done so far, I just started noticing, well, actually, these projects that I've done so far are completely different from each other. Yeah, it's good. It shows you the versatility of the writer, which I think is very good. Now, obviously, Project 4. Tell us about Project 4 and what came out after so, that. Project 4 was Hope and Magic, which I'd already written, which was a three-part novella series. And it was one of the first series I wrote quite... Well, I wanted about 2015 to 2017, I think I spent writing that originally. And I'd unpublished it. I'd unpublished most of my books, but I'd republished everything else except for that. And I decided to go back and edit it into one big book, so it was just sort of a three-part novel. And I re-edited it and changed a few things and then republished it again. Yeah, I've got the original novellas knocking around for this, and I've also got the book as well. And it's, how did you feel then? Because when you did them originally, there were three quite what reasonably short look on novellas, really, weren't they? So, yeah, because they're all set in the same sort of story following on from each other, but I felt that they were sort of separate books. And I didn't feel like I could really put them in a book together, but I thought, well, the best way to do it is just to put them all in the book together, but just call it up and magic and then have three separate parts. So it'll be part one, part two, part three. Yeah, I, I can see that with it. And as I said, and I know the book quite well, so it's like it's it's really, I think it stands up really well to full of novel actually as well. So that's why. So, and then obviously when you went back and re edited it all together again, how did you, did you find, like, because it's one of your earlier books as well, I seem to recall, did you find you're looking back at it now, you're thinking, wow, I wouldn't write like that nowadays in some cases? In some ways, I know my writing's changed a lot since then and I've learned a lot that I didn't know before. But in another ways, I'd like to write something else in that sort of style as well. And there's a character in that called Stephen who starts off as a baddie. And then he, he doesn't become like a goodie. I'd say his his morals are a bit like John Constantine. Oh yeah, no, I agree. With what I've read about that. Yeah. He like he does good, but it's like if it's a choice between himself and you know saving someone, he'll he'll choose himself. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that one. Okay, next year projects. This was this was the most unusual, I think, of your, your projects you did here or the books that came out. How do you feel about this next one? Yeah, shall I tell people what it is before? Yes, you better have, first of all, yes. So it's called You Won't Believe What Happens When You Buy This Book. And then the subtitle is a spoof clickbait collection. Yeah, now, I've had a hand in this book. I didn't write anything in the book. But I think I was at least partly responsible for this book. Do you want to tell people about this? So it was quite early into lockdown when we started doing the um, writing workshops, wasn't it, with yeah. me, you, and a few of our friends. Yeah. And you used to send us to different sites to create headlines and spook, spoof um, clickbait and things like that. And I think I came up with 12 things employers don't want you to know. And it was round about the time I was struggling to get work and I was applying for things that I had more experience for than they were looking for and just not getting anywhere with it. And I used it as therapy, I think, just to have a go at employers. Yeah. Now, it's, 
it kind of proved pretty successful with this that one piece, didn't it? I can remember reading on a number of open mic nights, and it seemed to go down really, really well. Yeah, and then it got picked up by the BBC when I sent it to the upload. And I'd tried with two other poems before and just received, like, no response. Like, we, we, you know, that poem's horrible. It doesn't even deserve a response kind of thing. Yeah. So, like, I think we were in Farm Foods, which is now shut down, that one. And yeah. I got a phone call, and it was from the BBC saying they wanted to play that. And I couldn't even talk properly through my mask because I had to wear a mask in the shop. And so I had to get her to call me. And I remember, like, looking at the clock and thinking, oh, no, she's changed her mind, she's changed her mind, she doesn't want oh, to play it on the radio You were anymore. proper panicking that day over that, you were. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, it was funny, but, yeah, you're right. It was, um, that was, that's why it makes it a really interesting, interesting piece, this one, because it was, then obviously, like, it's, people are wondering, what happened after that, Amanda? So after that, the places that I haven't already read it out at, I read it out a few more places and I could probably tell everybody, oh, it's been broadcast on the BBC, which always sounds good. And then I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to write a whole book based on, like, spoof clickbait. So I think it was about April, was it last year? Yeah, I, I, got, I finished it off because we did the... Um, Poetry thing, I forgot what it's called now off the top of my head, where you write a poem a day. Oh, um, Napoino, National Poetry Writing. Yeah. People in so e yeah, so even though it's not poetry, I use that to write one of these spoof clickbaits every day. And with the one I already had, I had 31 by the end of it. So then I published them in a book together. And some were harder to write than others. And I I've think not... it's the same with anything as well. I think there's some that I really love and some that are just in there because I just couldn't think of much to write that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's really, that was probably one of the most, that's probably been the hardest book I think I've seen you write, actually. Yeah, just... I think I've got one lying around somewhere that would go in the second book if I ever came up with it, but I'm not going to purposely sit down and try to get a second book. It's going to be something just if I feel like writing something that could go in it. And it might take me like five or ten years to get enough, but I'm not going to try to force it this time. Yeah, I'm going to be writing one. I notice it's an interesting book. Like it's, it's, it's just because it's completely off, off the wall, basically, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. That's why. So, it's, that's what I think I like about it. Now, obviously, with Project Six and that came out after that. This was one that I think we both know a few people wanted you to write this next project, didn't we? So, so this one was a bit more a different tone, this one. Is that the best way of putting it? Yeah, this this was a novella called Second Chances, and it's a sequel to the novel I wrote called Ghost of Me that got nominated for an award. So even though it got, fine, got, it got to the final, but it didn't get the prize for... Well, I just brag about it anyway because I haven't had any books that have done that before. <laughs> no, it's true. I think it's one of the ones, it's a book that's proved quite popular, yours, this one actually has. Because it's, it's obviously, tell people what, we don't want to go into too much what Second Chances is, but tell people very briefly what Ghost of Me is. Then. So Ghost of Me is from the point of view of a woman who finds herself in the morgue next to her own dead body and realises she's a ghost. And then because she's a ghost, she can't communicate with her fiancé and her mum and her sister and everyone she's left behind. So she discovers someone who can see ghosts and just basically haunts them until they agree to help her. 
and she's trying to solve her own murder. Yeah, that's basically what it is. And obviously, we don't want to give too much away second chances away. But for obviously that's it, it is the sequel to it. Now, what I found interesting about this is it was the way you actually publicise it. You didn't release this as a Kindle, do you? Just straight paperback. Yeah, it's released as a paperback. And then instead of doing it as an ebook, I was on Medium at the time, which is like a paid blogging site where you can either post stuff as a free member or you can post stuff and pay and it's supposed to get more people and then you get paid per view. But it's it's not very much. I don't think I made very much of it. I made maybe a dollar from the whole book. <laughs> Typical that, but it was... It's an interesting experience, isn't it? I think you're trying to release it, what you did with that there on a different... Yeah, because I posted a chapter every week and occasionally it'll still show up now saying someone's read chapter one or chapter two or whatever. Yeah, and I said it's quite... It's a fascinating idea what you did there. How did you come across on on your time on Medium? Anybody else doing what you did there? I think I have, yeah, but they've done it as a publication, which is through their own medium site. I did it through a, another, another person's publication that was for posting fiction and poetry because I thought that way I'll pick up other followers because I don't have much of a following on medium. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fascinating idea, so that's why and I, I did really enjoy the book as well. So I thought it took it in a very different direction to the original Ghost of Mean was, and that's, that's, that's the best way of doing it. Now, Project 7, this is when you really stepped back in time, didn't you, in this one? Yeah. I've been trying to get this made into an audio book for ages, and I think I've gone through three narrators, and for one reason or another, it's like they've all dropped out before starting or done it and then like just had some reason why they couldn't like get past a few chapters. So I finally found someone to narrate this. And it's not under my name, it's under my pen name of Alicia Black. Yeah, it's, it's worth in some ways, and it's, it's not for us to cover today with this one. When we've uh, uh, lost and found, which is, is this is part one of, there's been a, is, there is a long enough story on this one to do its own podcast on, really, isn't it? Oh, gotcha. It's had quite a life, and then it's been killed and then come back to life and resurrected again and again. <laughs> yeah, I've got all oh, that. Because I've got a lot of Amanda's books in the bookcase looking at me in a minute. And I've got, I think, is there three, been three versions of this? Am I right in thinking? At least three versions, yeah. Originally, they were in my own name when I was Amanda Steele. Yeah, and, and then yeah, I had it published, and I won't go into what happened there, but that didn't work out. So then I self-published it again, and while the old publisher was dragging the feet and still selling it, I wanted to make sure people didn't buy their version, so I had to release it under a slightly different name and under a pen name, but just make sure everybody knew it was still the same book, so I didn't buy it twice. Yeah, so it's like I said. It's worth anyone's interested in those sort of publications. Have a chapter on the separate about the story because it's a long story, that one. It's well worth hearing it. At the time, it was pretty stressful. That's the best way of putting it. Yeah, it was not a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Now, talking about fun times, we went into Project 8 for yourself was a very interesting, another one really, one that way I think you learned a lot about yourself as an editor really in this next one, didn't you? Yeah, so I used to publish a quarterly publication that lasted for 18 months called Printed Words. 
And every three months we'd bring out an issue of all the poetry and poems that we'd accepted from different writers. And it wasn't a paying publication, but what we'd do is that we'd give one person a prize of £20 or the equivalent in their currency every issue. And it was Steve Smythe who called on Speakeasy with us, who was the judge for most of that. Yeah, it was with Steve, wasn't it? Yeah, he did most of it. And I like it. Then, obviously, then, like, on top of that, you also did some last year, well, the year before, you did something else as well, didn't you? Do you want to go into that first, then? Before we talk yes, about what so you did. After, yeah, after we stopped doing the printed words quarterly edition, I launched a book called Words to Remember, which was a charity anthology. And that raised a couple of hundred pounds for different cancer charities. And then a year later, I thought, oh, I'm going to do another anthology, but I don't want to do like a charity one this time. So I thought I'll do a royalties only one and see how that works out. Mm. And then I had to decide the genre. So I narrowed it down to crime and horror. And then I just thought, oh, well, I'll just have it. It can be crime or horror. And people can be guessing until the end whether it's a monster that's done whatever's happened in the poem or story, or whether it's just a human who's not very nice. Yeah. Now, obviously, with this been the second anthology you did, I know, like with the first one, you had a team of people helping out with submission calls, and that was me and was Maria involved in both of these? Maria Bird. Yeah. Yeah, Maria was I don't think she was involved in the charity one, but she was involved in this one. Yeah, that's why Maria was one of our big helpers on Printed Words magazine. I was part of your submissions team on that. So, but how did the two books compare them for you? When you do do obviously that book and then the other anthology before it. The charity anthology was a bit more relaxed because it was for charity. So some of the stuff got in much easier than what it would have done if it was like people getting royalties only and it wasn't for charity. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. the from the shadows one, which we were sharing the royalties with the authors, we had to think about like, well, if we put that one in, it's like, well, it's not fair on the other people in the book because that's going to distract from it, or it's just it's just not up to the same level of quality as the other one. So we had to be a bit stricter. Yeah, now it's it's interesting because I don't want to go into a lot of details on this because it's so it's best just left in the past, really. But I remember you telling me you did have problems with you people on, on this one, didn't you, as well? So, yeah, we've had that. problems a few times. Not so much. There was one person with a charity one, but I won't go into that. But when we used to do the quarterly printed words, we had problems with a few people because we used to get everybody who was reading the submissions to write a line or two of feedback and then I'd edit them into a paragraph. Because if anybody who's a writer has sent work out, you'll know most of the time you'll, if you get rejected, you'll get a standard form submission that says something along the lines of, oh, thanks for, re- for sending your work. We loved reading it, but sadly it's not quite right for us or we won't be publishing it this time. And it doesn't really help you to improve it or send it anywhere else and make it more publishable to them. So we thought, well, that will help most people. And I think a lot of people appreciated that. But then we did get a few other people that would get back to us and they weren't too happy with it. Like one person was like, oh, I wasn't expecting a critique. And it's like normally you would pay quite a lot of money for professional critique. So it's not a bad thing to get that for free. 
Yeah. And then I think we had somebody in the quarterly edition once who said that we had to, uh, that our readers were missing out and we had to publish his work because it was so different from what we published and they'll be missing out on all the different forms of poetry if we didn't publish it. I always remember it with um, this anthology. <laughs> and this shows you people sometimes they don't read guidelines. We had somebody in London, you remember this, that sent something what we thought was a play, actually, didn't we? Yeah. And then they turned very sour when we rejected it. Yeah, that's what and happens. It was, but... And we're not going to go into what happened, but it was the first one that we get everybody to mark the thing, the piece out of 10. And it was the first one that got three zeros out of 10. Yeah. That's a good it for didn't follow the guard down at all. But it's, anyway, we'll move on from that anyway. So but it, that was an interesting challenge for that one again. So, right, okay. After that, then you did something that you haven't done before, didn't you? Which is another thing you hadn't done before, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, I did Little Splashes, which is a flash fiction collection. Yeah, there was. A, I don't think you've done a. You've not done a flash fiction collection before, have you? No, I thought about it, which is obviously why I did it as part of the, but hmm. the twelve projects in twelve months. Yeah. Now I know some of these obviously came from the workshop we used to run, but there was other ones that weren't. So. First of all, why? where did the title Little Splashes come from? I'm not sure, really. I was just like trying to come up with a title, and I thought, well, they're all little flash fiction pieces, so little has to go in there. And I didn't really want to call it, like, go flash fiction or something like that, even though the subtitle is a flash fiction collection. There's so many books on Amazon called flash fiction, or have that in the title. So I just went with Little Splashes. And sometimes yeah. as well, I play well around with the um, images I'm going to use on the cover. And it's a mixture of just creating something and then creating the title from that. So I think it was a bit of both. I was just playing around with the cover and playing around with the titles. And I found the title and the cover that matched up with each other. Yeah, I think it was a really interesting book, this one. It's, it sums up your versatility as a flash fiction writer. I think I haven't selected my book, so that completely. So now, Obviously, people obviously that know you would know, obviously, that you've done work to, you see from what we talked about already, everybody, you would see, obviously, like Amanda's got experience in quite a lot of fields she has in, in all kinds of things, haven't you? So you know a lot about writing, really, and also self-publishing as well. So this kind of made sense for you in your next book, really, didn't it? Yeah, so the next book I did was called What Do I Know? And the subtitle was Questions and Answers about Writing and Self-Publishing. Yeah. What and that was also articles that were adapted from Medium. Because I thought, well, I've not made very much money by posting these on Medium, so I might as well get some use out of them and put them into a book. So I did have to edit them so they sort of suited the book rather than, you know, just like ease some articles that I've copied and pasted without doing any adapting. Yeah, I think it was it was really interesting book this because it's is this the first time you've ever done a book like this talks about writing in this level? Yeah, so I've put in the introduction that it's not like a comprehensive guide to writing and self-publishing because I don't know everything, but it's just basically basically the title says what do I know? And it just tells you everything I know about it. Yeah, it goes on about a lot of it, your experiences. I think you interesting experiences are really interesting what you've done as a writer and the way you I think you're writing a new person of change over the last couple of years so it's quite 
it's quite it's a fascinating book to read that one it really really is so. yeah because i self-published my first book in 2014 and i didn't know what i was doing back then i think i made a lot of mistakes i did it wasn't edited properly and i knew nothing about marketing or any platforms other than posting it on amazon as a kindle and i think over time it's like if you sign up for free courses and you ask questions and look at what everybody else do is doing you pick up things so i picked up different things about where to self-publish it other than Amazon and different like distribution places so it gets a better distribution and just lots of different things that you pick up really over time. Yeah, I think a lot of what you've done is, and this is what applies to this book as all right, so it should really do is, is listen. And that's the hardest point, I think, as a writer is actually actually listening to people and learning because there's so many writers that get the stage where you switch off, won't you, and you think you know it all. Yeah, yeah. I've come across lots of people that have like, had posted things on social media, like, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. And then you tell them, oh, have you tried doing that? And they'll be like, oh, no, I can't do that. And they'll dismiss it straight away without even trying it. Yeah, and that's why then they wonder, wonder why I've said when they're not perhaps taking that next level. Yeah, so it's fascinating. It really is a writing. It's something that I think me and Amanda probably could, probably could do a, a series of podcasts on, really. But we'll come on to that another day anyway, so... Right, okay. Last two projects now. And Project 11. Try and talk about Project 11 versus new chipping. Okay. Yeah, you can do. Yeah, a couple of You're years involved ago. involved in it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I thought I'm not all involved in it. So a couple of years ago, I did them just before lockdown. I bought out a very short poetry book called The Streets Are All We Can See, which were very, very short poems because to the third poetry book I did, The Birth of Autumn, my poetry is really getting stripped down, becoming shorter and shorter. And over the next two after that, they've got even shorter than that. But I wanted to try and write a real short, concise little book of no more than 10 line poems each. Like, talk about little stories and stuff. And last year, I can't remember how this happened. Amanda, can you remember? Um, you ended up writing, co writing the sequel with me, didn't you? Because the lockdown was all we could see. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I just came up with the title as a joke. Yeah, and as usual, jokes go with us too. Writing jokes, it goes serious, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, um, certainly in the third one now, obviously, there's another sequel. This is the third one. It's called The Snow Was All We Could See. Where did, what's your memories of this book, Amanda? Well, a lot of it was from the workshop. Yeah, certainly a number of my pieces in this book are from the workshop we used to do, and there's some really, really interesting pieces in this book. There's a nice change of style of both us, really, isn't there? So, yeah, I think at least half of the pieces I wrote were from the workshop, and then I went back through some other stuff that I'd already written about winter and Christmas themes, and then I started discovering pieces that I'd forgotten about. So I think I originally said to you, oh, I don't think I'm going to have as many pieces in this as you are. And then I kept saying, oh, I've got this piece, I've got that piece. I've yeah. even forgotten about that. <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, it's probably, um, obviously, the I don't want to give too much away. At that stage, it's probably my favourite book we've done together, actually, this one, actually. Yeah, and it was easy to do the cover as well. <laughs> oh. People look at the cover and look at the lockdown was always and the snow was always You can see similarities in the cover, can't you? Yeah, because it's almost like they're part of a series, even though I had nothing to do with the first one. No, apart from I did the cover for you. But you, did, you took it over in the second one, as you always do. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. 
Shall we reveal what the 12th and final project is, Amanda, that's just come out? Yeah. Do you want me to tell people? Yes, let you tell people. It's called Run Away With Me Again in Eight Words. Yeah, and... Yeah, it's another joint book. <laughs> it's crazy, that again. It was, what, 18 months, man, the one between the lockdown was all we could and the snow was all we could see. Yeah. And it was like, we just, I think it was just the way it ran, basically, wasn't it? We were doing, we started, went on to snow with all we could see, sorting that out. And I can't, who, who, so who wanted to do Run Away With Me Again in eight words? Was it me or you starting off? I think you suggested it and... I think I came up with the title. It took a while to try and figure out what the title would be because we did run away with me in seven words and that title is seven words and they're all seven words poetry. So I wanted this one to be eight words in the title. Yeah. And I've got to say, I found this a harder book to write, actually. Go right with you. Yeah, yeah, I did a little bit. I think it took quite a few attempts, didn't it? Because we originally started it and then we both went off and did different things. And then we couldn't find it. It took ages finding it. Yeah, it was, um, I don't know, reading back on it, it's a trickier one because we had a lot, I found it harder to write and it's bizarre really because you think sometimes, don't you, when you really strip it down to seven words and you think you'd give yourself a bit more leeway if you did with eight words, you think it'd be easier, don't you? But it wasn't. No, and plus we'd already done the seven word one and I think that was more natural because... For half of it, we were just doing it as a joke, and then we thought, oh, we're going to publish this. This one is like we were doing it more seriously because we knew we were going to publish it. Yeah, and it was more, I think we were more, it's interesting if we do sort of think it, we were more conscious of it, weren't we? Yeah. And it, it's like when we did Run Away With Me in Seven Words, it was really interesting, like this. Um, we used to, we were doing it at one point. This is tell what, tell what we did with really, the method. Amanda started it off on Twitter as a seven word poem, just an experiment. And somebody that co-wrote a book who isn't Amanda did a response as a gag. So I That's, just carried it on and said, challenge accepted. And then it, then it was like, we used to do it like Anders because um, we were doing it on the way WhatsApp and I was traveling to and from work. And we used to, we, we did it for about two months we did. And then yeah. the editing process. And this one took them over a year because I, I think we struggled. We're trying to, it was, you're more conscious sometimes and it was harder really, wasn't it? Yeah, that's why. And people wonder obviously with like with the second book, that the first one. Amanda's done all the illustrations on it again. And how did the illustrations compare in this set? This run away, run away with me again book for Amanda. I think the seven word one, I it was quite early days in me adding illustrations to books. And even though I think some of the Im images were quite nice, this one. It's got a more of a classic feel to it, and I made them all so they're all black and white, and they look great in black and white. Yeah, I think so as well. And it does. You'll see it when people look at it. They do look. They stood up really well in black and white. They have really, really helped that one. So it's no. It's I'm really pleased with the book challenge. So that's why. So it's it's a really, really fascinating book. So that one. So, but like I said, no, definitely that one. So no, great, great stuff with either that son indeed. So now. That's it, obviously, your 12 projects, Amanda. What are you going to do next? So I've got a couple of start manuscripts that I've started writing that are going to be novellas, and I'm going to continue them next year and try and get them done during the year. And then I'm also going to add them into scripts. 
So I've got the option, if I see submission calls for novellas or scripts, I can submit them in either form. Cool, cool, cool. So, and obviously, to conclude this first part, then, conscious of the time now as well, if people want to find out more about you, where are the best going? Now, if you search Amanda Steele Writer and WordPress, it'll come up with my blog. Yeah, and, and there's a good article, a good feature, and Amanda's listed all these 12 projects, so you can follow them all through from that. So, so anyway, Amanda, then, to quote you on Reading in Bed, our book review podcast, what do you do? Hi, everyone. See you in a minute. We're managing to read three extracts out from various bits in the second half. Spoken Hi guys, yes, my time for peace and quiet now. Amanda is going to do three different extracts. Over to you, Amanda. Okay, so I'm going to start with a piece that's in the You Won't Believe What Happens Next. When You you Won't Believe What Happens When You Buy This Book. That helps, doesn't it? I don't even know how to buy a book. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Let's try so the, the, Right, you won't believe what happens when you buy this book, a spoof clickbait collection. And the piece that I'm reading from that is called Six Genius Ways to Get a Well-Paid Job Without Experience. One, know someone in charge, fail the interview, but get the job anyway. Then tell everyone how hard you work to get where you are. Two, auction yourself on eBay. Start a bidder war by getting your friends to place bids. If you have no friends, create accounts for your imaginary friends and get them to bid. Then build up the hype and get real employers fighting over you, even though none of them will be quite sure why they want you so badly. Three, when you want to send out CVs, include a bottle of wine. You may not have the experience, but by the time the recruiter has finished drinking the wine, he or she won't care. Four, if you get rejected from a job, just turn up and start working anyway. They will be so impressed and they will hire you on the spot or take out a restraining order. Five, first impressions of everything. So on arriving, backflip into the room to distract them from your lack of experience. If you can't do backflips, a seductive dance will do. Six, if your experience is non-existent or you have nothing but the basics on your CV, fill up the blank spaces of images of cats. Everyone loves cats. And if they don't, you don't want to work for them anyway. Meow. <laughs> See, there's though. a cat now. <laughs> oh, I do love that piece. One of my favourite pieces yeah. of that. I remember you wrote half of that in the workshop and it was like, it just came out of nowhere and everyone, everyone it was just that magic sort of moment. Everyone sat there and where the hell has that come from? <laughs> Years of anger and bitterness. <laughs> okay, well, better move on because we're time here. So, okay. Extract number two. Okay, so this is an extract from Hidden Identities, so slightly more serious piece now, or much more serious piece. Mum's shoulders shook, her chest rose and fell in quick succession as she gasped. Under normal circumstances, I might think she was having a seizure, but the tears rolling down her face combined with what I just told her meant that I did know better. I'm gay, I repeated, not because I wanted to cause her further upset, I simply didn't know what else to say. I leant against the kitchen wall as I waited for a reply. I, she began, but was overcome by loud sobs and excessive breathing. She held up her hand, 
signaling for me to wait as she took another deep breath. I didn't bring you up this way. No, I agreed. I just am. In the same way straight people aren't brought up that way. They just are. Have you tried not to be? I'm not sure it works like that, Mum. What about Maisie from number 12? She's such a lovely girl, around your age and single. Surely for someone like that you could. I mean, only last week she carried my shopping all the way from the supermarket. People don't do that anymore. That was nice of her, I offered. See, you two would get along fine. Maybe not love, but some someone like her. You can build on that, surely. I'm attracted to men, I reminded her. Oh, for goodness sake, she snapped. Who says you have to be intimate with the lights on? Some couples are further dark anyhow. Now more than ever in this day and age of eating disorders and obesity. I was hoping you'd understand, I pleaded. Well, I don't, and quite frankly, neither will anyone else around here. That's the beginning of that story. Completely nice change of tone there, some very diverse pieces as well, so brilliant. And the third and final piece I'm going to read an extract of is from The Shadows, which I edited, and I also have a story in there called Bury Your Past. So I'm going to read the beginning of that. Present day. I shoveled the last piles of dirt over the makeshift grave. I never thought I would have to bury a body, but there's no time to dwell on my actions. Now is the time to run. Seven years later, earlier, sorry, I looked at the electric invitation. The only David I knew was on my chemistry course at college. We had never spoken. I didn't even know his name, a second name before getting the invitation. But maybe this invitation had been sent to everyone on the same course as he was studying. It made sense, however desperate it might be. He started a few months after everyone else, making it difficult to fit into the already formed friendship groups. Why not, I thought, as I decided to go to his party. Chris broke up with me the previous week, taking most of our friends with him, even those who had only been my friends before we got together. Considering he was the one who cheated on me, I was annoyed, but kept quiet, trying to be the bigger person. As I arrived at the party, I looked around for David, but couldn't see him anywhere. In fact, I didn't recognise anyone for all from college. A guy close to my age approached me, smiling warmly, almost as if he knew me. He was tall, probably six foot five or more. At five foot ten, most guys hated it if I was taller than them. His dark hair, dimpled face and sexy smile made it all too easy to say hi, as if we hadn't just met. I never got to introduce myself because someone yelled that the party was over, while several more yelled a warning to run before scrambling for the nearest exit. The hot guy in front of me took my hand and pulled me towards the back door, which was less congested than the front door. We ran through the back garden where he helped me clamber over the wooden fence and we ran through the woods together hand in hand. It was almost romantic and I wished Chris could see me at that moment. Are you okay, Erica? He asked as we slowed. I wasn't used to running, so I nodded rather than spoke to give my lungs time to recover some oxygen. I definitely would have struggled to tell him my name wasn't Erica. He walked me home, only it wasn't home. 
The building he walked me to was a small cottage painted white. It clearly belonged to someone who had money. We stopped. He leaned in, wished me good night and kissed me. I got the sense he seemed familiar with me, not at all like someone kissing another person for the first time. I wrapped my arms around him, caught up in the moment, matching his lip movements with my own. Again, I wished Chris could see me at that moment. I watched him leave, realising I didn't even know his name and I was miles away from home. It's excellent extra on that one. Really, really sinister. Fantastic. Indeed. And a great session today as well. Now, even though like people obviously know that like, we've said it several times a couple a married couple here, but it's great to hear you talk about all these various projects and it shows you. Tell me think of this, it shows you how if you think about your writing, how, how different directions you can take it really, can't you? Yeah, yeah. I just like to write whatever comes to mind and it just ends up being whatever genre that falls into. Yeah, because like We've talked about this before, I know we have, and it's, it's a good point to raise this. Some writers seem very, very good at sticking to one genre. You don't, and that's what I love about that. You just don't, I, you surprise, never cease to surprise me frequently. Yeah, I do have a theme, though. People die, everybody dies. Usually men, right? <laughs> Usually men, so. But anyway, listen, guys and girls, that's it for today. It's been a pleasure, Amanda. No doubt I will see you soon, won't I, Amanda? I'm sure you will. I'll come and see you, even though it's a long way away. <laughs> right, anyway, guys, listen, I'll let Amanda conclude again with what she always does with reading and that. So what's that, man? Bye, people. See you all next. <laughs> As Don Callis says, impact wrestling, guys, stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you all soon. Spoken, mate.